Hey, last week, we've been diving into this series on Colossians, Jesus Over Everything. That's the title for our series. It's, the, it's kind of the, the theme, if you like, for, I think, for this book of Colossians. And we've, we've been having a heap of fun diving into that as a church. We, a lot of us have been reading through it, all four chapters, every single day. If there's something particular that you've gotten out of that, why don't you put it in the chat or you can share it in our Facebook group. We'd love to hear from you what you are learning from the book of Colossians. There's so much in this to learn and there's a totally different perspective. I think today, if you look across today's service, you see Jesus over everything has been sort of the theme all the way through. And that's what we're going to speak. It's Jesus over everything, over every single situation, trial, you know, whatever's going on right now in, in our country, we kind of feel like, oh, this is just not in control. There's all these different things happening. There's this state versus, you know, against that state. There's this vaccination versus that vaccination, whatever. Who cares? Jesus over everything. All right, and that's where we need to get back to. I love what Jamie shared about that focus, and, and I don't even know what the word was that you used, the Hebrew word that you used, but about, hang on, we're not going to look away from everything else, and that's what I think Colossians is trying to get us to do right here. Paul's writing Colossians, and he starts off talking to the, the, the people, he writes a letter from prison to the church in Colossae, which he's never been to. You know, Epaphras is the guy who planted that church, and, and there's some heresy going on. There's some, hey, it's Jesus plus. It's Jesus plus this legalistic law. It's Jesus plus this uh, scenario. It's Jesus plus you've got to treat yourself poorly. It's Jesus plus, plus, plus. And Paul's coming and writing basically that same thing. He's like, oh, no, 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 let's fix our eyes, fix our eyes purely on Jesus. And let's keep our focus there. Um, you know, Paul dispels all, all of that stuff immediately. So let's read Colossians 1, 15 to 18, which is kind of like the verses. The, this, is the third, the, this will kind of cover everything that we're talking about. Is that the Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. Remember last week we talked about the firstborn meaning firstborn, but it also means the highest place. The highest place. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers um, or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have supremacy. Jesus over everything. The message translation, which we're not going to put up on the screen, says that he was supreme in the beginning and is supreme at the end. He is the Alpha and the Omega. He is the beginning and the end. He is above all, in all, through all, and over all. He is all. It's Jesus. And I think we need to come back to that point in our lives. Remember last week's little reporting class on there? A good reporter asks a few questions whenever they're, they're going to in, in, interrogate, in, interview. Thank you. Yes. Thank you for the wise people in the room who are telling me the, the correct words. Not interrogate, interview somebody. Sometimes it might feel like an interrogation if you're in front of an investigative reporter. But the reporters ask a few questions. Who, what, where, when, and why? And Paul uses this. All things were created in him. Where? In heaven and on earth. What? Things visible and invisible. Who? Everyone. Thrones, dominions, principalities, powers, authorities. Why? All things are created through him, 
for him, when he is before all things. You know, I, I just really love that whole thought that Jesus is before everything. And we need to, as Christians, believers, need to come back to a place in our lives where we have that first love, where we acknowledge Jesus and we place him before everything else. Come on, as we begin today, why don't we pray? Father, we just thank you that you sent Jesus to be our Lord and Savior. And right now, at the beginning of this message, we just want to take everything else away. All the distractions, all the anger, all the frustration from what's going on during our week, everything that we see going on in the media, everything that would try and detract, distract our focus and take it off you. We actually, right now, we lay those things down and we fix our eyes on you. And we speak the name of Jesus over everything. Amen. Amen. All right, we're going to dive into our scriptures for today. I'm going to read part of two different chapters. Colossians chapter 1, verses 24. We kind of got up to here last week, and we're going to continue on into Colossians chapter 2 just a bit, because uh, there's a few things we want to pull out. All right, so let's read. Uh, verse 24. Now I rejoice in what I am suffering for you, and I fill up my flesh what is still lacking in regards to Christ's afflictions, for the sake of his body, which is the church. I have become its servant by the commission that God gave me to present to you the word of God in fullness. The mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the Lord's people. To them God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. That's the mystery, the hope of glory in you, Christ in you. And he is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. To this end, I strenuously contend with all of the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. I want you to know, in verse Colossians 2 verse 1, I want you to know how hard I am contending for you and those at Laodicea and for all of you who have not met me personally. My goal is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love so that they may have the full riches and complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all of the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I tell you this so that no one may deceive you by fine-sounding arguments. For though I am absent from you in body, I am present with you in spirit and delight to see how disciplined you are and how firm your faith in Christ is. The title for this message today is Turning Misery into Mission. Turning Misery into Mission. And I really think that it's time for some of us as disciples of Jesus to realize some hard facts. There's some tough truths that we need to understand about our place in all of this and that we are on mission. We are on a mission. We didn't just sort of like get saved from our former life to be brought into this new life of Roses and daffodils and dancing through the fields and it's all light and fairy and airy and everything's great and uh, how's the serenity? <laughs> we would wish that that was the case, right? 
But that's not what we were called to. We were called to be on mission. It's our missio day. That's the Latin for it. Missio day, our mission of God, our mission from God. You know, I used to go to a church that that was the theme for the year one year was Missio Day, and they had these little bracelets on the, that were metal, and on the one side it said Missio Day, and on the other side it said Mission of God on the other side. And this is just a little funny inside story there, but when they got them all made, because there was quite a few thousand of these that were being made, um, so you probably had to get somebody somewhere else to make them, it came back and it said Mission of Cod. Yeah, so somebody had to, with a little metal thing and a hammer, put the little cross on to turn the C into a G. Mission of God, thousands and thousands and thousands. So the, the, you know, the moral of the story is proofread. <laughs> Get someone else to check the work. But, hey, but we are on a mission, the mission of God. We have got work to do. Right? And our work to do doesn't just sort of evolve just around us becoming more like Jesus and, or us just becoming, um, you know, oh, hey, I'm going to read my Bible more or I'm going to do this, this is my mission or, or I'm going to worship for three hours a day or I'm going to play more, I'm going to listen to more preaching podcasts or I'm going I'm, I'm to read more books. Or, or It's not just about me. Our mission is all about others. And we are on a mission, all right? Mission Operation 1914. Mission, Operation Christmas Child. We are on a mission from God. But sometimes we come against opposition when it comes to our mission. Or you could call it opposition. No, that's just me making up another word. Don't, don't go there. Don't do that. That's bad. My daughters are probably going, cringe, Dad, you're just making up words now. Opposition happens in our mission. And we come up against things. And we come up with, you know, our mission we've got to understand is hard. And there's going to be trials and tribulations and so often, when we come against opposition or just things that happen or things that go wrong or, or we, we suffer, we think that we suffer, we just want to wallow in our misery. And we just want to go, oh, God, woe is me. I can't go and buy coffee. And we, we honestly think that what we're going through and even what we're going through right now is suffering. But it's not suffering. But we actually sit here and we wallow, and I'm guilty of it myself. We go and we just want to wallow in our misery, and we talk to everybody else in, outside of the world who is, who is free or being able to meet in large groups, and we talk to them about how bad we've got it here in Victoria or how bad we've got it in Australia. Oh, it's so bad here. It's terrible. And we want to whinge about our misery, but our misery is nothing compared to what Paul went through. We suffer in our misery and we, we, we want to, we've got to start to turn our misery into missions. Let's read Colossians 1.24 again. Now I rejoice, hang on, what? Paul, let me just give you some education here. Nobody's rejoicing in suffering, all right? Please stop saying that. But he goes on, he says, I rejoice in what I am suffering for you and I fill up my flesh what is still lacking in regards to Christ's affliction for the sake of his body, which is the church. Now, Paul's saying that he's suffering, he's rejoicing in his suffering. So that leads me to think in my brain that what Paul went through really wasn't all that bad. All right? It can't be that bad, really, because he's rejoicing in it. If it was bad, he wouldn't be rejoicing in it. So let's have a look at what Paul suffered. Okay? Come with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 24 to 28. Here's this. 
Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. 39 lashes? Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night night and day in the open sea. I have been constantly on the move. I have been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from the Gentiles. So that's everybody. In danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false believers. I have labored and toiled and often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I have been cold and naked. Besides everything else, I face the daily pressure of my concern for all the churches. Paul's writing this letter, encouraging people. He's even writing this from prison. He's in prison, in chains. You know, they don't have kind of like soft little... It's not like a comfortable thing that they, that they were tying you up with. It was iron. It rubs. And whenever you pull on it, it's just stripping away the flesh that's on your arms. This is not comfortable. Paul was going through suffering, but he had an attitude of rejoicing. He had an attitude of rejoicing. I am rejoicing. So who and what was the suffering that he went through for? Think about all of those different things that he went through. What's the, what's the worst thing that you've been through? Trying to compare it back to what Paul went through and suffered for our behalf. You know, I'm a, I'm a, lot, suff, I'm a lot softer than Paul. You know, I whinge if I can't go out to a cafe for a meal. Rachel knows. The kids know. Like I'll go, can't even go down to Hall's Gap and get some nice ribs or whatever at the Flame Brothers or something like that. I'll, I'll whinge. You know, I call it suffering when I can't have people over to my house. You know, I'm, I'm in deep suffering if a holiday gets cancelled or postponed. Now, that's, that's me. I'm a bit softer. You know, and I don't know if any of these things have, have happened to you, and I don't want to diminish any of the feelings or experience, you know, that, that kind of things that you have. You know, then there's a lot of things that are going on in different parts of the world. But Paul's saying right here, I rejoice in my suffering for you. What he went through was for us. You know, um, in the message translation, Colossians chapter 1, 24 says, I want you to know how glad I am that it's me sitting here in jail and not you. He says, let me take this one. Let, let me do this. I, I'm going to encourage you, but I, I'll go through the suffering, but I'm doing it for you. The key point is what Paul's saying is, I am suffering instead of you. But Christ suffered instead of us. Yeah. You think about that. Paul's encouragement to the church, and he's bringing everybody back to this one point. He's writing this from prison. He's gone through all the suffering. He's been through all of these different things. I'm suffering here in prison, but it's Christ who suffered Way worse than me. Christ took it all. John Piper says that I think what we see in Colossians 1, 24 is the living out of Jesus' words from Mark 8, 35. Whoever wishes to save his life shall lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospel shall save it. The pathway of salvation is the pathway of losing one life for the sake of the gospel. The point is that taking the gospel to people across the office or across the ocean, ordinarily requires sacrifice and suffering, a losing of life or denying of self. This is the way Christ means for his saving sufferings to be taken to the world through the sufferings of his people. So we can have joy in our suffering, knowing that when we suffer pain for his name, 
It is for our long-term benefit in the long run and for the benefit of those around us. So now we come to the second verse. And that is Colossians 1.25. It says, I have become its servant by the commission that God gave me to present you in the world a word of God in its fullness. We're talking now about Paul's call to ministry. So we've got to turn our mission into our, our, our misery into our misery. Let me start that again. We've got to turn our misery into our ministry. Turn our ministry, our misery into our ministry. I can't even speak today. I don't know what's going on. It's all right. Bear with me. I have become its servant by the commission God gave me to present you the word of God in its fullness. This word commission is the Greek word oikonomia. Oikonomia. Everybody say that at home. Put it in the chat. Oikonomia. Try and get it spelt correctly. No Googling allowed. Oikonomia. And it basically means administration. Paul has been made an administer of the gospel. It's a method. This, uh, this word administration is a method of tending to or managing the affairs of a group of people. Paul has been put in charge of attending to the gospel affairs of people. You know, he was made an administer of the gospel. It was his job to make sure that the word of God was presented completely. When we look at that word fullness we read before, oh, it's my job to give it to you in its fullness. He was, there, he was supposed to guard it. You know, not, this, not in part, not accepting heresies, but another word for this word commission is also stewardship. Paul was made a steward of the gospel. He is tasked with carrying this gospel out. He has made make sure that it is protected, that it is safe. So not only does it spread, but that it spreads in its fullness. He has to care for it. He has to nurture it. If you're a steward of some, someone, which is, which is generally what you see, someone has been made a steward over somebody else, they're responsible for their affairs, then you are charged with taking care of that particular person. You are responsible for their finances, for their well-being, for their health. And this is what Paul is being made of this message of the gospel, is that he has been made a steward. He has to care for it. When somebody else comes in and tries to attack it, he has to defend. He has been made a steward. He has a responsibility for it. So Paul is commissioned with the spread of the gospel, but he has also been made a servant of the church. Now, I'm just looking at this whole picture of Paul sitting there in prison, writing these letters to serve the church in the best possible way that he can. I'm like going, if that was me, we'd be in trouble right now. Like, but he takes this on. He's going, oh, this is my calling. This is what I've been called to serve the church. We come down now to the third point of this message is the mystery that is in Christ. So we've gone from our misery, we've got to take, make it our ministry to understand the mystery that is in Christ. First Colossians 26 and 27 says, The mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations but is now disclosed to the Lord's people, to them God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery which is Christ in you the hope of glory now i love a good mystery novel i really do i love mysteries i'll, I'll read crime novels i'll read spy. i love a good spy novel with like international intrigue and espionage and something that's got a really good twist 
right, in it. You know, a whodunit kind of movie where you don't know who done it until the end. Not like the Hallmark movies that your wife gets you to watch with them. And at the very first scene of the movie, you know that that builder and that baker, they're going to end up together and you could pretty much just skip to the end unless you're my mum who sort of like three quarters of the way through will say, I reckon they're going to end up together. I mean, like, really? Yes. That was in the first scene. You could see it from a mile away. Now, I want something with a mystery that you, you turn on the movie and you're watching it or you're, you're reading the book and you've got no idea where it's going to end up. I love a good mystery. I love it when you don't see it coming. Just so you know, Rachel does love Hallmark movies, particularly Hallmark Christmas movies. Uh, so if we get to a, a, a level of restrictions where you're allowed to come over, I'm sure she will organise a, a few girls to come and watch those to help me go and play golf with some of the guys. So if you're keen, I think she's interested in that already. All right. But we need to understand that all of this mystery that's been wrapped up and understood through generations and generations of writing and reading and learning through the Torah and, and all of the Old Testament, there's mystery involved in there that has not been understood. The people in Colossae, they're fascinated by mystery. They want to know the higher level. They want to understand the deep knowledge. There's a, there's a higher way. The answers, you know, like th- these are the guys that are listening to true crime podcasts. They are. They're just like they've got their earphones on and they're listening away. They're not going, oh, I want to know what's going on here. I want to know who's, who's interested, who's done it. They're desperate to understand a higher knowledge. They think that they can attain uh, a, more le- a higher level of perfection for themselves if they understand a higher knowledge. Now, this is the Gnostic mysticism we talked about last week that's prevalent in Colossae at the time, a transcendent pathway. You know, believing there's, there's a levels of enlightenment that could be achieved through knowledge. You know, we read in 1 Corinthians 13, for now we see only a reflection as in a mirror, and then we will see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even is I, as I am fully known. But Paul's saying in here that the real mysteries that they seek to understand are all found and finalized in Christ Jesus. This is the mystery, Christ in you. That's the mystery that we're trying to understand. Ray Steadman says, There is the great mystery. It is the greatest truth taught in the Bible, and yet it is the most seriously missing element in many churches today. This could get rough, so please... Buckle your seatbelts. Most most Christians in our churches understand that Christ died for the forgiveness of their sins. They believed that and came to Christ because of that, but that is where most Christians stop. Relatively few, it seems, ever go on to grasp the fact that Jesus died for them that he might live in them. It is his life in them that is the source of power, change, and deliverance, the ability to resist temptation. That is how loneliness is met and how companionship is provided. It is not enough to know that Christ died in order that we might go to heaven. We are also to know, understand and practice Christ actually living in us now. That there in itself is extreme. And and it's sad that so many people go, well, I believe that Jesus died. Here's my ticket. I can just live through, eke through the rest of my life, just living this way and go, well, did you realize that there is so much more for you 
then just that. That's not what Christ designed for you. Christ designed for you to live in fullness. Which brings us to my last point, and that is the mission. We've gone from the misery into the ministry, understanding the mystery that's Christ in us to develop our mission. We're turning our misery into our mission. Colossians 1.28, He is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we might present everyone fully mature in Christ. We're going to have the worship team come back just now. But this purpose of what we teach, there's a purpose to what we proclaim. There's a purpose to the gospel. There's a purpose to everything that we speak. And that is the purpose is make, developing everyone to be fully mature in Christ. Did you realize that maturity in Christ is worth fighting for? It's worth us fighting for. Depth in Christ is worth fighting for. Knowledge is all worth fighting for. We're going to look at Colossians 1.29 and it talks about Paul when he says, To this end I strenuously contend with all of the energy that Christ so powerfully works in me. I'm going to fight for this. I'm not just going to sit on the sidelines and just let some guy come out from over the side there and start to speak things into your ear that aren't true. You've got to believe this. I'm going to contend. I'm going to fight. A lot of us are being sort of pulled in all sorts of different directions when it comes to what to believe right now or how we should act right now. But I want to tell you that God sent Jesus to die on the cross for our sins so that he can live in us. We're getting distracted. And I just want to speak into this for a moment. There's a lot of people getting distracted and you're spending too much time on Facebook chats and Facebook rooms and getting on YouTube and finding out all of this different truth and you're getting distracted from the purpose that God called you to and that is to speak Jesus. Speak Jesus. The world's got enough hate going on inside of itself. We need to stop. As Christians, it can't come from us. We've been called to live differently. We've got to stop distracting everybody else. We need to be an example of who Jesus is right now. That's our mission. Our mission is to spread the gospel. The gospel is the good news about Jesus Christ. The gospel is not you should choose Pfizer over AstraZeneca. The gospel is not you should be unvaxxed, otherwise you've got no faith, or you should be vaxxed because you love your neighbour. That is not the gospel. The gospel is that Jesus came and that he died for you and that you might now take that message out to the people around you. That is the gospel. Sorry, I'm getting a bit fired up. But you know what? I think it's time. We've got to stop anything that would cause division in the church we need to stop anything that would cause division in our hearts. We need to stop things that would cause us to take our focus off Jesus and start putting our focus on the world. You know what? The answers to what we seek are not found in the world, but they're found in Him. I feel like I'm preaching. Colossians 2, 1 continues. I want you to know how hard... He finishes Colossians with... I strenuously contend with all of the energy that Christ so powerfully works in me. And I want you to know how hard I am contending for you and those at Laodicea and for all those who have not met me personally. Let's bring this back for a second. Paul's in chains, suffering miseries 
for the gospel. Having been beaten, shipwrecked, imprisoned, there is nowhere that he is safe. No city, no country. He's not safe from Jews. He's not safe from Gentiles. And back then it was Jews and Gentiles. So pretty much everybody. Yet he is focused on the mission that he was commissioned with, the expansion of the gospel. You know that term, contend strenuously, means to labor unto extreme fatigue. For those he hasn't even met. What's our mission? Let me tell you what our mission is. Matthew 28, 19. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That's our mission. And that right there is the, is, is the message that, that God has left us with. It says in John 3, 16, that God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. There's the gospel message wrapped up in, in a verse. But our mission is then to take that verse and spread that verse everywhere that we go. But most of us, including myself, we're too comfortable to contend strenuously for the gospel. We'd rather be continuing strategically for our rights. We'd rather see how many letters we can write to members of parliament or how many posts on Facebook we could share that we contend strenuously for things that make us feel uncomfortable, that take away our comfort. But the gospel was never meant to be comfortable. We have a look at Paul's life. It's not a comfortable life. This is hard. I think we need to commit today that we're going to turn our misery into mission. Come on, why don't we pray? Father, right now in this place, everybody who's watching online up at Neil here in this room, we repent. We're sorry. We haven't allowed you to live out fully within us the mission that you called us to. But right now we, we make a declaration in our hearts. We renew ourselves again to a love of you and your son Jesus of so much passion that we cannot help contain it but it has to spill out into every area of our lives. We want to contend strenuously to the point of extreme fatigue for the gospel of Jesus Christ. And as Christians and as believers, we pledge this today, that we're going to change the way that we live for your glory and for your kingdom. In Jesus' name. There's one more group of people that I would like to pray for today. Is that is anybody who has never accepted Jesus as their Lord and Savior. So it says in the book of Romans that those who call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Saved from what? Saved from a life of being bound in sin and shame. Do you know that Jesus went to the cross not only that we could have forgiveness, but that we could be set free. And I want to say a simple prayer right now for anybody who's watching, whether you're in the room here or whether you're online or up at Neil or walking around by the river, listening to this message. 
I want to pray a simple prayer asking Jesus to come into your heart, forgive you of sins, and set you free from shame. Why don't you say this with me? Say, Dear Lord Jesus, I ask you today to forgive my sin and to free me from shame. I'm sorry for all of my mistakes, for living life my own way. And today, Lord Jesus, I accept you as Lord and Saviour of my life. And I am going to fix my eyes on you. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Come on. Why don't we give a huge congratulations to everybody who is accepting Jesus today. Whether you've been watching live online this Sunday or whether this is through the week, we just wanted to be able to contact you and and touch base with you. We've got a Bible that we would love to give to you. This Bible is the Word of God. We would love to get one into your hands. And I personally would love to meet you and pray with you. Or even if that's over the phone, you can contact our church. You can email us on the details that are on the screen. But hey, one more thing. And before the worship team are going to lead us in a song of praise on our way out today. And that is, I just want to pray a prayer of blessing over you. So if you're in the room or up at Neil or in your lounge room, why don't you stand and stretch forward your hands to heaven. This is something that we try and do at the end of every service. It's a benediction. We're praying blessing over you. And no, I'm not going to sing it. But the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make His face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn His face towards you and bring you peace. God bless you, church. We love you heaps.